0: Um, Today's Bible reading is from Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith.
1: Thank you, Leo. Well, I drive a little white car and I love it. Here's a cheesy photo of me when I bought it. And uh, it was fairly new when I bought it, not completely new, but uh, when you get a new car, you have this kind of honeymoon period. You take it to get serviced, and uh, you give them the keys, and they just give them back. There's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing for us to do. Then after a while, the wear and tear builds up, you get the brake pads fixed, maybe the wheels realigned, and then eventually, the honeymoon period is over, and things start to break properly, and my poor little car had to have the whole radiator replaced. And reading through Acts, we get a sense of this kind of honeymoon period as well. In the first few chapters, the young church in Jerusalem, it seems perfect. There's been kind of escalating opposition from outside the church, but among the believers, we have this beautiful, idyllic picture of a new, spirit-filled community. In chapter 4, we read that all the believers were one in heart and mind, united and that they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified with great power and uh, there was God's grace so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy people among them. It's beautiful, a beautiful picture of a generous and growing and loving community that's united. Have you ever read that description in Acts four or in chapter one and thought, why isn't my community like that? Looked around at the church today and maybe felt a little disappointed and thought, I wish we could get back to then. But we're only a few pages into the story now and we have the first internal challenges to the community. In chapter five, we've had Ananias and Sapphira and their sin and dishonesty. And as we reach chapter six, we have the first risk of division, the first cracks forming in the church. God, he's doing something really special in this community of Christians in Acts, yet they're not perfect people. There isn't a perfect community. And in this passage, we see that Growth doesn't come without growing pains. In this passage, the apostles have an important question to answer. Are they going to stay focused on witnessing and preaching the word, or are they going to shift focus to caring for their own, for their church? It's kind of an unassuming passage, but there's really something to learn here and a real tension. So let's dig in. Let's look at the problem that's emerged, division and neglect. You might want to have uh, your booklet open with the passage and an outline there as we look through it. So verse 1, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Luke doesn't give us an exact timeline, but... He tells us that the church is growing among Jews in Jerusalem, though it's not completely homogenous. There are these two groups of people becoming Christians. The Hellenistic Jews, we might also call them the Grecian Jews. They come from Greek-speaking synagogues and have some of that culture influencing them. And the Hebraic Jews, who are more influenced by Hebrew culture and are in Aramaic-speaking synagogues. And the apostles, they're Hebrews, that's the majority group. The Hellenistic minority are complaining against the Hebraic majority. Complaining, grumbling, murmuring. There's some negative connotations to that word, but also there's a real issue here. The Hellenistic widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Literally, the daily ministry, the work involved in managing money and possessions that are being shared among believers and distributing food and provision to those in need. And some of the needs are being neglected. We don't really know why this is happening. The word overlooked, it doesn't have connotations of being intentionally malicious, but in any case, it seems that as the Hebraic Jews go about distributing the food, They're doing a good job of looking after their own widows but not so much the widows from the other group. It's a real issue and it needs to be fixed because it's causing division and it needs to be fixed because God cares about those widows. I have a few ornaments and decorations in my house including these two vases in the living room with wire lights in them. A couple of weeks ago, one of them broke. I wonder if you can guess which one? I don't know if you can see it, but uh, the one on the right there, it's a smooth, tinted green glass, and the one on the left is crackle glass. I don't fully understand how glass is made, but at some point in the process of making it, they break the glass and reform it, so it's got all these pretty fractures through it. So which one broke? Well. It's obviously the crackle glass. It fell maybe a metre onto the carpet and it shattered into a thousand pieces. The fractures in it made it vulnerable. And the church is a bit like that too. Especially this church in Acts, we're seeing the first sign of a crack, a bit of division, the risk of a fracture forming. But this church, it needs to be united around the gospel. Unity is gonna be essential if the church will withstand pressure from the outside. Unity will be essential if the church is gonna keep up, keep withstanding opposition, keep proclaiming the good news. So this tension that's building between different groups, it can't be left to escalate. The issue needs to be resolved. And it needs to be resolved also because God cares about those widows. It's his heart for the vulnerable. Let's take a moment to imagine being one of these widows in the first century in the context of the church in Acts. Imagine every day being dependent on the generosity of others for today's food. In this context, it's patriarchal social structure being A woman outside of a male-led household leaves these these, uh, widows extremely vulnerable. They're vulnerable to exploitation and especially to poverty. They don't have a lot of rights and very little power. But God, his heart is for the poor and powerless. It's a repeated priority in the Old Testament law that widows, along with orphans and foreigners, be looked after. In Deuteronomy 10, we read that the Lord is the one who defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among them, giving them food and clothing. In Psalm 68, God is praised, saying, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. So, God's heart for the vulnerable shapes the heart of the church. You might remember Nat quoted Theresa Morgan, a scholar from the University of Oxford, a couple weeks ago. She said, This is a world with no social safety nets, but Christians create social safety nets. They are the people who are notorious for looking after widows, the poor, the orphans the people who are in most of society just slung out onto the street. God's heart for the vulnerable shapes our own heart towards the vulnerable. In James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world and orphans, old people without family to look after them, children without parents to care for them. Deuteronomy links them together also with foreigners, migrants, again, the people who are vulnerable to exploitation, exposed, possibly far from family, without a safety net. I had a conversation recently with some friends about money, about uh, money as a safety net. And some of us are sheltered by this and other safety nets. Savings in the bank, family, close friends, citizenship that gives us access to Australia's social safety net. But for others in our community, those safety nets aren't there. There are real challenges and hardships, and oftentimes, especially for people who are new to Australia, who've come from overseas, there can be real challenges, and often without these same safety nets. In our community at 4 p.m., we need to have our eyes open to see the needs and challenges of one another. We'll need to have conversations if we're going to see and be responsive to those needs, the needs not only in your cultural group, not only in your age group, even just not in your friendship group. You might have the opportunity to step up to be a safety net. If you lose your job, I'll make sure you can pay your phone bill and eat food. If you lose your rental, I'll make sure You've got a safe place to sleep. Maybe there are opportunities to step up as an advocate against injustice or to step up to be a brother or a sister or a mother or a father as our church, as the family of Christ, is shaped by God's own heart for the vulnerable or neglected, for the widow, the orphan, and foreigner. Well, the disciples, they know God too well to think he would be happy with a solution where the widows are left hungry, so they're quick to address this problem. They gather the whole community together, but there's also attention for the apostles, attention about what should they do next. They say in verse two, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. The apostles, they have a task, a commission from Jesus himself. We heard it in chapter one. You will be my witnesses. The apostles, they have been singularly focused on that task. We read it at the end of the last chapter that day after day, the apostles never stopped preaching and teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So is this the moment to change tack? to stop focusing on proclaiming the gospel and start focusing on looking after our own. Or maybe they can do both. They could keep focused on teaching and try to squeeze in managing the distribution of food around that. Or they could focus on making this daily ministry happen in a fair and equitable way and do some witnessing and proclaiming around the edges. Preaching the word that's a good thing to do. Looking after the needy, that's a great thing to do. Can they do both? It seems not well. It seems if the apostles try to do both, something's gonna get overlooked or neglected. One person, or in this case, 12 people, can't do everything. There isn't enough time in the day, but also, it's not the way God wants it to be done. The apostles are right, it would not be right for them to neglect the ministry that they've been called to witnessing. They need to be singularly focused on the ministry of the word, but they need the help of the church if they're going to do that. Which brings us to the solution. Verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them, and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The church, cannot afford to lose sight of the spirit of the gospel. It can't neglect the word. And God's church, following God's own heart, cannot neglect the widows. It can't be either or, widows or the word. So they need to appoint reliable, reputable, godly people to take on this responsibility that's arisen looking after the poor and needy because they also need reliable godly people who have the responsibility of praying and preaching. They choose and commission wise people who will do this ministry well so that together the church can do both, can love the needy and press on in the task of witnessing the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the ends of the earth In this passage, we see just two sets of responsibilities, but the idea continues in the life of the church in Acts and the epistles, that within the church, there are different responsibilities, different needs, and there are different people with different gifts. We think of 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service. That's the same word as ministry. There are different kinds of ministry, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. God has joined together many different people into the body of Christ, the church. He gives them different gifts and he calls them to different works. It's actually a beautiful picture of diversity and cooperation in the church. But for us as broken people, it also brings up pitfalls and temptations. And I wanna talk about three of them. Overworking, that's the I can do it all myself attitude. Overlooking, the if I ignore the problem, maybe it'll fix itself and undervaluing. Calling some people and some ministries important and looking down on others. So first, overworking. I can do it all myself. This one I find personally tempting and enticing. I remember uh, a number of years ago now, I was working in an accounts payable department and I was friends with an accountant in the specialist engineering division uh, named Simone. And Simone and I knew each other quite well by now and this particular month was a mess. Like if I remember right, my team was already short a person and my manager was unwell and couldn't work uh, and my colleague was on jury duty and we did not know when she would get back and I was working so hard to hold everything together and Simone, she sees this, she sees me and she uh, takes me aside and she says, Bridget, you can't do everything, listen, you can't do everything. And I remember this conversation because I remember the words that I said to her and I remember the words that were inside my head. And the words on the outside were, you're right, Simone, I know. I'm not trying to do everything. I'm just going to do the bare essentials. But the words inside my head were, yes, I can. Watch me. I can do everything. Pride. pride. I had that thought, I think I recognized it as pride. I think that's why I remember that conversation. I can do it all myself. It can look different at work and in church. In both contexts, it might be about pride. It might be about trust. Am I gonna trust someone else with this responsibility like the apostles did? Am I willing to trust someone with this even? Am I willing to trust God with this? Am I going to ask for help? Can I admit that I can't do everything and instead give thanks for those who we live and work and do church alongside? As the apostles thought about how to address this problem, they might have decided to try to do it all, but that would have risked them being drawn off course away from their particular task of being witnesses. So what about another approach? the she'll be right approach. Ignore the problem, it'll only get in the way of what's really important, hopefully it'll resolve on its own. We also might be tempted to ignore a need that we don't see as important or that's inconvenient. Maybe it's even a defense against trying to do it all yourself when you see a need and think, I don't have capacity and you just move on. We've already talked a bit about what this path could have led to for the apostles, fractures forming in the church, division between the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, maybe even a split so early in the life of the church. And all the while, the needy suffer suffer, while people grumble, but no one steps up to solve it. In our community... There are things that are new and exciting, new initiatives, fun events. There are things that are strategic areas for growth, big picture plans, and there are things that are inconvenient, or mundane, or slow. Love is slow, inconvenient, mundane. And caring for people doesn't always fit with our goals or big picture plans or busy lives. Feeding the widows doesn't look like a key strategic priority in bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Providing meals, lasagnas provided per new baby, would be a strange metric to put in a church strategic plan. But caring for people. Is always a priority for the church. It's Jesus' command, John 13, a new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So for us, when you see an unaddressed need in our community, someone overlooked, someone neglected, who needs help, you might not be able to fix it yourself, you might not be able to handle the problem alone, but that doesn't mean we can ignore it. We need to have conversations, talk to a minister, take a step. And when we see a conflict, a tension arising where fractures might form, rather than say, if I ignore it, maybe it'll fix itself, Let's work hard to have helpful conversations so that we can be united of one heart and one mind. Overworking, overlooking, and thirdly, undervaluing. Humans like to rank things, top 100 movies, top hit songs. I typed top 100 into my search bar and here was the autocomplete. Now, Google knows pretty much everything about my life, and four of the top 10 are (laughs) golf-related, and I have got no idea how to play golf. People love to rank things, and apparently, especially golf courses, but that nature works against us when we encounter the diversity of needs and gifts in the church. We are tempted to call one important and another unimportant, to esteem one person and undervalue another. The apostles, they have a priority and a calling to proclaim the word, but the ministry to the widows, it isn't some lesser ministry given to less important people. They don't say, all the spirit-filled wise men, send them out to preach, and the ones left over, they can look after the food such. The apostles, they don't think that this job is beneath them, not at all. Actually, they're both called ministry in this passage and they're both needed. Sharing the gospel, it has to stay at the heart of the church's priorities, but that doesn't make the apostles and their calling important and others unimportant. Or in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye cannot say to the hand. I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. It's ridiculous, right, one part of the body saying to another, I don't need you. Instead, in verse 18, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has placed each of us in his church, in the body of Christ, God has made each of us and joined us together because we need each other. We shouldn't fall into this trap of looking down on some gifts and some ministry or some work because it isn't as glamorous as others. We shouldn't overvalue gifts that we see up the front or, and undervalue those that are up the back. The quiet work done on a Sunday the quietly done work during the week that isn't as shiny as public leadership. As each of us plays our part and uses our gift, let's be so thankful to God and to one another for all the small and big things that are quietly done in service of God and in love for others. So then, what's the outcome? The result of the apostles' solution. Everyone's happy with their proposal to appoint seven faithful men, so the group chooses their seven and they present them to the apostles who pray and lay their hands on them. They commission them. They accept them. They give them authority to do their job. And the outcome, verse seven, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's a great bookend to the section, isn't it? Verse 1, the number of disciples was increasing and verse 7, the same. The number of disciples increased rapidly. That's the context and the outcome. Gospel growth. And growth brings... Challenges, friction, problems that need to be solved, but it's not going to stop because this is God's unstoppable plan to grow His church. Actually, we keep seeing it in the New Testament, in the churches, in the letters. The church has grown, the gospel has spread, but there are problems, disunity, conflict, issues that need to be addressed. In fact, growth is kind of risky and costly but it's worth it. In this passage, the word of God spreads. Even many priests become Christians, priests who are steeped in the community that arrested and flogged the apostles just one chapter earlier. They become obedient to the faith. They become Christians. And God is carrying out that work today, bringing people to him. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're not quite sure what that means, let me encourage you to keep learning and asking questions and looking for answers and we would love to help because there's a reason that a lot of people were becoming Christians in the first century when this book was written and there's a reason that a lot of people are and are becoming Christians today. There's a reason for you to trust Jesus today. For our community at 4 p.m., We're still a bit younger than my little white car, almost one year old now. Maybe we're still in the new car honeymoon phase. So we can pray for growth, pray that we would also be part of God's unstoppable mission to bring people to Jesus. But as we pray for growth, we can also expect some growing pains. There might be tensions that arise, issues that need to be dealt with. There might be times when you relate more to the widows who are neglected in this passage than anyone else. You might wish the church was better because we're certainly not perfect. We are going to need to work at loving one another as we grow. Be looking out for unaddressed needs, mindful of sore spots that might cause division. We're going to need to work at having helpful conversations and bringing those overlooked needs to one another so that we can meet them, so that we can care for one another, so that we can be healthy enough to keep growing because growth can be hard, but it is worth it to see the gospel going out and bearing fruit in people's lives.